The year is 2010, and the world is literally rocked by disasters, both natural and man-made. A 7.0 earthquake devastates Haiti, killing at least 100,000 people, or one out of every 10 Haitians. And it's followed a month later by a less lethal but still scary 8.8 quake in Chile, and then by similar ones later in the year in New Zealand, Indonesia, the Philippines, Mexico, and Baja, California. Meanwhile, the Deepwater Horizon drilling rig explodes in the Gulf of Mexico, killing 11 workers and causing massive amounts of oil to spill into the Gulf, which creates an environmental disaster that injures marine life, coastal ecosystem, and the livelihoods of scores of communities along the coastline. But there is some good news when the Affordable Care Act passes in Congress and, among other things, expands access to mental health and substance abuse services for millions of Americans. And in that year of 2010, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to Next to Normal, a musical that deals with one family's struggles to cope with a mother who has bipolar disorder. It's also a show that became one of the most controversial Pulitzer winners ever. My name is Jan Simpson. Welcome to All the Drama, a podcast about the plays and musicals that have won American theater's highest accolade, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Next to Normal was written by Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkie, who met when they were both students at Columbia University and worked together on the school's variety shows. Kitt was born in Port Washington, New York, on February 8, 1974. He got his degree from Columbia in economics, but his real passion was music. Yorkie, who was born in Omaha, Nebraska, on October 23, 1970, but grew up in Esquaw, Washington, was the words guy, who focused on the book and lyrics for their shows. They so enjoyed working together that when Kit graduated in 1996, they applied to the famous BMI workshop to further hone their skills in writing musicals. Two years later, for their final workshop assignment, which was to write a 10-minute musical, they came up with the idea for the show that would eventually become Next to Normal. Kit and Yorkie had been impressed by the way shows like The Who's Tommy and Hedwig and the Angry Inch used pop rock music to explore serious subjects. So Yorkie, who had seen a TV news report about the rising number of women undergoing electroshock therapy, suggested that that might be a good subject for their mini-musical. Both he and Kit knew women who had struggled with mental health, and they had some strong opinions about the mental health system, particularly about electroshock therapy. They called their project Feeling Electric. Some people in their BMI workshop were turned off by Feeling Electric, but others admired its ambition. And so the duo kept working on the show. In 2002, they presented a concert version at The Cutting Room, a club on East 32nd Street. Norbert Leo Butts and Sherry Renee Scott performed some of the songs, accompanied by Kit and his four-man rock band. 
It went well, but attracted no producers. Then, in 2004, Kit and Yorkie won a Jonathan Larson grant, named after the late creator of Rent and Design, to support other up-and-coming writers of musicals. The grant money allowed them to stage a production at the Village Theater in Yorkie's hometown of Essequah, where he had become the theater's associate artistic director. And the next year, they took their show to the New York Music Theater Festival, or NIMF, which was then a high-profile showcase for new musicals. That cast included Amy Spanger as the distressed mother Diana, Joe Cassidy as her husband Dan, Annalie Ashford as their daughter Natalie, and Anthony Rapp as Diana's psychiatrist. One of the people attending one of those nymph performances of Feeling Electric was the producer David Stone, who was just then coming off the success of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee and looking for another fresh and original show to get involved with. Stone thought Feeling Electric had potential, but he was less interested in Kit and Yorkie's critical feelings about the medical establishment and much more interested in the effect the mother's illness was having on the emotional lives of those closest to her. Stone recruited the director Michael Greif to help Kit and Yorkie make those changes. Greif, who had directed the award-winning shows Rent and Grey Gardens, had a knack for working with musical newcomers, and he helped Kit and Yorkie refocus the show, while Stone persuaded Second Stage Theater to give it an off-Broadway production. The team also brought on a new cast that included Alice Ripley as Diana, Brian Darcy James as Dan, Jennifer Damiano as Natalie, and Aaron Tuvate as Natalie's mysterious older brother, Gabe. Kit and Yorkie embraced many of the new changes. Kit told Patrick Hines, host of the podcast Broadway Backstory, which has been an invaluable resource for this podcast, that after hearing Ripley sing their songs, they couldn't imagine doing the show without her. They also worked to add extra depth to each of the main characters, and they did additional research to come up with a specific diagnosis for Diana. They even liked the new title for the show that Stone said had come to him in a dream. Next to Normal underscored the daughter Natalie's desire for her troubled family to become even a little more like the normal families around them. But there were changes that Kit and Yorkie refused to make. Even though Stone and Greif urged them to rethink a few of the numbers, the writers insisted on keeping them in. But when the show opened at second stage on February 13, 2008, many of the critics sided with Stone and Greif, particularly about the show's original title song, Feeling Electric, and another number called Costco, in which Diana had an almost comic meltdown in the big box store. Kit and Yorkie cut those numbers within days of the reviews, and they admitted that the show was better without them. But the reviews had already come out. Luckily, Stone decided to give the show another shot, and he persuaded the Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. to give it a production. 
The team continued to refine the piece, and J. Robert Spencer, who had played one of the four seasons in Jersey Boys, stepped in as Dan when Brian Darcy James stepped out to take the title role in the musical Shrek. This time, the reviews were such raves that Stone felt ready to move the show directly to Broadway, and less than three months after the D.C. run ended, Next to Normal opened at the Booth Theater on April 15, 2009, where it ran for 733 performances. It brought new audiences to Broadway, too. About six weeks into the Broadway run, the producers released an adapted version of the script on Twitter, with each post containing a single line of dialogue, and all of them collectively timed so that the entire thing would end on the morning of the Tony Awards. According to the New York Times, over 500,000 followers subscribed to the feed. Now, the show did have its detractors. Some people complained that it dealt in cliches and oversimplified Diana's disease. Others felt it offered an overly dramatic picture of electroshock therapy. And still others objected to what they considered to be the show's message that people with mental illness might be better off going it alone without conventional treatment. Still, Next to Normal was nominated for 11 Tonys. It lost Best Musical to Billy Elliot, but it won for score, orchestrations, and Alice Ripley's now iconic performance as Diana. And it became the eighth musical to win the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. But as I said at the beginning, that was controversial too. The five people on the jury had not included Next to Normal on the short list of candidates they sent to the Pulitzer Board, which chooses the final winners in all categories, be it investigative reporting, biography writing, or drama. The drama jury's list had included Christopher Diaz's The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity, Rajiv Joseph's Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, and Sarah Rule's In the Next Room, or The Vibrator Play. It was a slate of topical plays, dealing with subjects such as race, gender, and geopolitics, and written by a diverse group of accomplished playwrights. But for some reason, the board didn't like any of those choices, and none of those shows were playing in New York when the board members met in the city to cast their votes. It was later said that one of the board members suggested that they go as a group to see Next to Normal, which was right at the time. They went, and they decided that it should be awarded their prize, hailing it as, quote, a powerful rock musical that grapples with mental illness in a suburban family and expands the subject matter for musicals, end quote. Jury Chair Charles McNulty wrote a column in his paper, the Los Angeles Times, denouncing the decision. But the board's choice didn't come entirely out of left field. In a Playboy interview, the critic David Rooney, another member of the jury, said the play had been on the long list the juries had discussed, and while it wasn't one of their finalists, it had been mentioned in the report the jury sent to the board. 
The controversy did not hurt ticket sales. Next to normal regularly broke box office records at the booth, and it recouped its initial $4 million investment just a few days after the production's one-year anniversary on Broadway. Unable to stay away from a role he'd originated off-Broadway, Brian Darcy James returned to play Dan for a couple of months in 2010. Then, the real-life couple of Marin Maisie and Jason Donnelly took over the roles of Diana and Dan in July 2010 and stayed until the end of the run the following January. But Alice Ripley wasn't done with playing Diana, and over the next year, she led a successful national tour of Next to Normal through 16 U.S. cities. Kit and Yorkie have yet to produce another hit like Next to Normal, but they've both kept busy over the past decade and a half. Together, they collaborated on If Then, a vehicle for Edina Menzel that ran for 401 performances. They also did a musical version of Mary Rogers' classic YA novel Freaky Friday, which debuted at the Signature Theater in Arlington, Virginia in 2010 and had a run at the La Jolla Playhouse in 2017. Separately, Yorkie collaborated with the rock musician Sting on his ill-fated musical The Last Ship. And Yorkie has done TV work, including adapting the novel 13 Reasons Why for Netflix. Kit has worked primarily as an arranger and orchestrator for such Broadway shows as American Idiot, SpongeBob SquarePants, Jagged Little Pill, and Alicia Keys' upcoming Hell's Kitchen. But he has also done original music for Bring It On, Flying Over Sunset, and Almost Famous. Next to Normal has had an afterlife, too. Among the major productions was one with an all-Asian cast that the East-West Players did in Los Angeles in 2017. The musical also had a brief run at the Kennedy Center in 2020 with Rachel Bay Jones as Diana and Brandon Victor Dixon as Dan. Another interracial couple was at the center of a well-received production at D.C.'s Roundhouse Theater earlier this year. And last year, London's Dunmar Warehouse mounted a much-praised production with Cassie Levy as Diana that is scheduled to move to the West End this spring and that may eventually bring Next to Normal back to Broadway. And for those of you who don't want to wait for that, the Barrington Stage Company will be doing the show in August. In the meantime, I'm delighted that the guest who is joining me to talk more about Next to Normal is Peter Marks, the recently retired theater critic for the Washington Post and the man whose enthusiastic review for the arena stage production of Next to Normal helped to move the musical to Broadway. Peter is now the co-host of the theater podcast, Marx and Vincentelli, which you can find on Substack. Hello, Peter Marx. Welcome to All the Drama. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. I'm going to jump right in because you saw the production of Next to Normal at Second Stage. I did. And you weren't, as I recall, a fan of it. Yeah, I had uh, I had some issues with it. Uh, I felt 
uh, it was uneven, and the unevenness uh, really detracted from what could possibly have been at that point a really original and terrific musical. Do you remember what was wrong? What, what yes, tilted it wrong? I do. What? What? Yeah, I vividly recall. It's one of those cases, Jan, where you, you know, you you see it. It seems so glaring to me uh, that I could actually pinpoint the moments in it. So, so the the, the musical was about this very serious topic, uh, a woman's uh, decompensation uh, in 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 deep mental illness, and. Uh, the the authors tried to sort of make it, you know, uh, both poignant but also kind of irreverent, and the two ideas didn't mesh particularly well the first time I saw it. And there were two numbers that, in particular, I remember thinking, "Ooh, this isn't working." Uh, one was very early in the show, in which the uh, the woman, the character played by Alice Ripley, has a breakdown in a in a in a big box store, I think it mm-hmm. was a Costco. It, yeah, and it was a very it was a very silly number. It felt it felt it, it, it didn't feel like it matched the moment. It tried to be very theatrical and and bigger than life, and it was almost it almost made her seem foolish hmm. instead of seeming uh, uh, relatable. So that was one of them. I can't remember the name of the number. And then there was one at the end of the first act called Feeling Electric. I remember that vividly, in which it was uh, a, a, an account of her uh, her being, um, what, what do you call it, um, when you're uh, electroshock therapy. Right. And, it, and again, for me, that number felt uh, out of place and almost too, uh, uh, too silly for the, for the context in which they were um, uh, p- portraying this woman's uh, treatment. Was was that all that changed when it moved to uh, the arena stage in Washington? That's a good. That's a good question. So, yeah, I mean, the, the reviews in New York, as you know, were very mixed, mm-hmm. and were not encouraging particularly. Right. I guess they felt Michael Greif and the and the cast felt that they had, uh, you know, they had potential. So yes, those were the, those I recall as being the major things removed from the the show and they replaced the number feeling electric with another number they actually wrote another one as i recall uh, maybe i'm misremembering but i think there was a, a a new version of the song that they uh inserted and those were the really big moments that changed there probably were other smaller uh, tweaks that they made but those were significant and i think really changed the scope of the piece as you know, this is probably one of the most controversial of the Pulitzer decisions. Mm-hmm, yes. <laughs> and so yeah, right. what do you think made the board decide to go with this show for Pulitzer? Uh, yeah, th- well... Uh, the, the the story was, and I don't know if you've recounted this elsewhere, but uh, the, the the what happens is, and I've been on the Pulitzer, Pulitzer jury several times. I wasn't on it this particular year, but uh, what happens is the the panel uh, uh, winnows down the entries to three choices, and the jury uh, recommends to the Pulitzer board, the five person jury recommends to the larger Pulitzer board these three candidates for the Pulitzer. 
you almost always one of those three is chosen by the board uh, as the winner. The jury does not even rank the three. Uh, we just uh, we just submit these three titles. And in this particular year, the board uh, overruled the jury and went to another uh, winner, which was next to normal. They had obviously gone to see it. It was the only way probably they would have you know, been able to come to come some kind of decision. What I recall was that the three uh, pieces that the jury selected were were um, were pretty avant-garde. Were pretty much uh, groundbreaking in one way or another, in ways that may have been uh, taste-wise outside the purview of the of the full board. So the board took it upon itself to to make this other choice. And and next to normal was a good choice, uh, you know. I mean, I think it was absolutely a valid choice, but it was controversial because the five experts from the field uh, had had made their decision, and it, and it was almost it was a slap in the face to them. They felt you know aggrieved by the by what had happened, and so it it was indeed controversial and rare. Uh, you know, in my experience, five times on the panel that never happened. Yeah, they they sometimes will uh, just decide not to give an award. Correct. That that's also very rare. I mean, that has not happened in many in several years. I can't remember the last time it happened. It happened maybe once in the in the twenty first century. So it's it's rare for them to do that, as it is rare to go over the heads of the of the jury for a final decision. You know, in retrospect, I I think it's. I think it is great that they honored Next to Normal because it is a musical unlike many others. You know, and then they've just revived it, as you probably know, in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's a, that's been a, a highly anticipated debut in, in there. And, and in the, and the pieces, you know, we've seen very few musical of that variety anymore on Broadway. When you say of that variety, what, what exactly do you mean? That's a good question. I mean, a serious musical, a serious original musical that takes as its theme something uh, contemporary and uh, and not necessarily what you would imagine to be easily musicalized. I think in that vein, you know, a Kimberly Akimbo is a similar kind of musical, uh, a, a, a composer and lyricist finding a way to musicalize that in the in the way that Sondheim did. And those musicals are disappearing from our, uh, from our, unfortunately, from the, from our uh, uh, from the Broadway platform. It's you know more and more we're seeing adaptations of of movies and and things that seem to be brand names that that people think are going to automatically find uh, a cheering section among theater goers. So that's why I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's got that unique quality to it. I'm going to go back to something that you, you said earlier, where you said that the plays that the, uh, the panel, the jury recommended mm-hmm. were somewhat avant-garde and, Plays were, were Christopher Diaz's The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity, uh, Rajiv Joseph's Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, and Sarah right. Rule's In the Next Room or The Vibrator Play. And I'm wondering, what was so avant-garde about those plays? You're, you're, you're jogging my memory, Jen. Those actually weren't that 
uh, avant-garde. They were actually all uh, choices that any one of them could have been selected. Uh, I'm thinking of the year that uh, there was another year where the the, the pieces were even more uh, were, were lesser known pieces. So I'm I'm misremembering because I'm you know I'm now ancient and, and those things. <laughs> You know, really do fall out of my head. But you're right. No, no. Uh, Chad Deity and Bengal Tiger were certainly at plays that got um, played, uh, that were uh, produced elsewhere, in, and were pretty successful in other cities uh, in the country. Any any one of those, I don't think, would have been a controversial choice. Now that you're reminding me, so I don't know what was on the board's mind. I have to say, when. I went to see the the production. I wasn't looking forward to it. It didn't seem like a subject that mm. that I wanted to see. And I was knocked out by it. And mm-hmm. I I wonder maybe it was just a visceral reaction um, mm. when they went to when they went to see it. Yeah. Uh, right. It may have been. Yeah, they may have been just blown away It because it was so surprising the way you're describing it yourself. I mean, it, there, there was something uh, that felt highly original and, and to want to encourage that kind of theater may also have been on their minds because it is it is a powerful piece. It's uh, it, it's my daughter's favorite um, piece of theater. Wow. Uh, she my daughter uh, became. Uh, really, really deeply connected to what was going on in that in that show, and I think it's because it it really had a wrenching quality. Uh, it really did go deep into uh, the the psyche of this woman and and the way her uh, illness affects everyone around her. And you know, and and Tom Kitten Brian Yorkie worked on it for like ten years. Yeah, uh, it really showed. I mean, the the depth of the exploration, and also to their credit. The ability with Greif to go out of town to a place like Washington and really, really rethink it, listen to what was said about it. That's the other unique thing here um, was that they they listened to what the uh, the reaction was to the show. And they were able, even after 10 years or how many years they were working on it, to take a step back and say, you know, these are the things that we could we could make better. And, you know, voila. I have uh, just one more general question, which is about the London production. Have you seen it? Did you go over? No, I haven't. I'm going back over to London soon, and I'm hoping to see it. I have, uh, have you? No, no, no. I have not seen it. But I am curious about what the reception will be here, because it's 14, 15 years, and our and our sensitivities, I guess I should say, about mental health issues uh, have really changed over the past decade and a half. And there was some criticism of the show at the time with its treatment of mental health. And I'm wondering if uh, people will be even more sensitive to Mm. it now. That's, That's a really, it's an interesting question about how uh, how perceptions of of social issues and and our sophistication about them can can change the the the, the look to seeing if a show is too simplistic uh, or or hyper dramatic about these things. But uh, you know, I thought the opposite. I thought it was a very sensitive treatment of of mental illness, and and maybe part of that was you know Ripley's performance 
uh, in it. I, it was, you know, it was amazing. The idea of, of a disintegrating um, personality and how she embodied it was extraordinary. I also saw a production of it at the Kennedy Center that Rachel Bay Jones, in which she played Diana. And um, that was, she was equally as good. And she, of course, was the mom in Dear Evan Hansen, another musical that feels as if it it, it, it owed something to Next to Normal, uh, again, portrayed a, a, a young man with a uh, with an anxiety issue that was very realistically revealed. But I don't I don't think it's I don't think it it it, it oversimplifies or 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 even sensationalizes mental illness. This uh, next to normal, I think it I think it really uh, is a very brave uh, attempt to expose us all to. Uh, to the way a, a, an entire family can be crushed yeah. um, under the weight of this illness. And this is my last question. They were very young, Kit and Yorkie, when they started working uh, on Next to Normal. And I'm just wondering, do you have any thoughts about why they have not been able to have another show that even approached mm. This one? Yeah. Well, that's a very perceptive and wise question. The way you framed it um, as those these two young guys who really were coming at this very early in their careers. And I wonder if the success, you know, I, I Tom Kitt is a, a very multi-talented guy. He does a lot of musical arrangement and orchestration. He's he's a music director. You know, he's worked on a variety of things. He's adapted. You know, he's he's got a kind of feverish, uh, restless mind, I think. Uh, and and he and Yorkie, uh, they of course did another musical, If Then, that had a very troubled uh, trajectory to Broadway with Adina Menzel. It's also started in Washington. You know, hopefully they'll hit it again. I mean, you know, I think they both went off into other projects. They had other ideas. And, uh, you know, as a team anyway, they really, uh, they, you're, as you say, they never hit it out of the park again. But, but sometimes musical theater, as you know, is a impossible, it's an impossible uh, field to, 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 to get right. It's so hard to get to, to make a great musical. We, we forget how collaborative and how involved it is. And I think maybe this is a team that really benefited from a long-term commitment to a project. You know, 10 years is, uh, was what it took them to perfect this. And the other things they've done are in a much shorter time frames. And I wonder if, you know, just in the, in, in the, in the way they uh, birth a project, that that kind of time frame was what they needed to really find their footing with this uh, story. So, so the, the shorter time and they've been uh, taking on other projects may, may have affected you know, maybe the quality of what they've, they've been able to uh, uh, accomplish. Well, even if they don't do another one, they've got this one. Not everybody gets a Pulitzer Prize, and, and not a, everybody sort, sort of pushes the musical theater form uh, forward in the way that, that I think arguably this show did. Uh, well said. So, uh, thank you for 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 talking uh, to us uh, about it. Really appreciate it, Peter. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's a it's a it's a it's a show worth talking about. 
and thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please send them to me at jan at broadwayradio.com.